watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. Ready Player One, Isle of Dogs, and Final Portrait. And as always, we're going to rate these on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Happy... Well, we decided today's not a day. <laughs> we're, it's Holy Week, right? It's Holy Week down here at the Binge, and uh, <laughs> wow, are we living we're, it. We're feeling it. We're feeling our holy oats. I, uh, I do have a feeling about Holy Week. Do you? I do. I, I'm, I don't have a religious uh, affiliation at all. We've gotten into many religious arguments uh, mm-hmm. between us. You want to have um, one now just for funzies? Let's, you sure, just for, for the old, old thing. Yeah. Um, God is dead. No. Um, <laughs> we did just look up Maundy. Uh, we did. We looked up Maundy Thursday just moments ago. Because Jason um, just uses a Bible that um, <laughs> people haven't even regarded as real since 1979. We had like a who's on first moment where <laughs> she's like, the Thursday is the holy day because of the washing of the feet. And I'm like, it's Maundy Thursday. Right. And then she's like, what's Maundy? And then she like looked it up and it was like, Maundy Thursday is the day of the Maundy. So one of those like super unhelpful <laughs> definitions. Exactly. Where it's like, what's solitude? The act of being solitary. Great. Damn it. Um, but, uh, uh, but then it turned out that Mondi did mean the washing of the feet. Which is a weird, I don't understand. I don't know where that, this doesn't feel like a Latin word. I feel like I started hearing Mondi maybe when I started going to like Episcopal church. Maybe the, mm. the you know, the COE, maybe they're still hanging on to Mondi. That Mondi. might be, a, Catholics don't use it. No, no. Well, I mean, I I will not be judged by Catholic standards. Oh, that's um, clear. <laughs> it's very clear. Um but I, I was having, I was talking to somebody about Good Friday, and to me, like, Good Friday, Good Friday, uh, so I was raised Catholic, and I always went to, we had, like, the Stations of the Cross and all that stuff, and Good Friday always felt like, it always felt weird to me. Like, mm. I always feel like, because it's also, like, you know, it's, you know, it all comes together at the spring, for obvious reasons, but it has that, like, very often it would be the day where the air is changing and the sky is like kind of green. And then my family did this thing where you would you wouldn't be able to, to like talk or watch TV or anything between sure, noon between and three. Tw- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. While uh-huh. he was like on the cross, right? Um, and, and you're like, now why did this day always feel so weird? I know, right? Well, just because nobody ever looked each other in the eye, talked, or watched TV, <laughs> and sat there thinking about a man hours. suffocating while punctured with multiple wounds on a, some pieces of wood. I really think it was a barometric pressure, though. It always had this like storm. I thought you meant that killed him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, wasn't it though? Was right. it like, You're like, people blame the Jews, but <laughs> <laughs> I blame barometric pressure. Who <laughs> knows? Barometric pressure. It's a <laughs> <Barry. laughs> little still. known underling of Pontius Pilate. Barometric. <laughs> Uh, That's where we got the weird metrics from. It sounds like some little weird Cockney (laughs) joke. Like, oh, you know my friend Barry Metric? Uh, No. Um, So, yeah. So that was always a weird day for you, huh? Yeah, and sometimes it still feels kind of weird. That's that God-shaped hole in you crawling out to be filled. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I'm doing my best. (laughs) You really are. Shoving a bunch of stuff in there. Grabbing any old thing. (laughs) Like, is this my new God? (laughs) It might be. (laughs) If it's nice to me. Um, What's up with you? Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, in the midst of all of this Holy Week um, madness, in- introspection, yeah. 
Uh, well, guys, it's been a few weeks. Uh, we are coming back from our latest in this long series of hiatuses. <laughs> we do apologize for the inconsistency with which we make our show. Mm-hmm. Um, we're back in the saddle, um, and uh, we're going to be doing this for at least another two months before we once again take a few weeks no, off. No, I think it's one month. Is it? No, no, no. It's like the end of May. Oh, yeah. It's the end of May. Yeah. Right. So right now we're at the end of March. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we have another... We, what we we hope to have two solid months of weekly episodes um, until we both are gone for a few weeks. But point being, during this hiatus, I actually did something that I haven't done in a long time, which is I wrote a review. Mm. Yes. Uh, because whenever I see these movies... Uh, as a, as a result of the privilege of being in the press and being on the press list, I, I feel really guilty when I go to those free screenings and don't also give them some kind of review. And part of that comes from the fact that they always threaten in their emails to like block you for good if you mm. don't give them a review. And I am nobody who can throw their weight around. I mean, other than in like a dancing context. <laughs> so I have no right to just be like, cool, I'm going to keep into the movies anyway. And I'm never going to write a goddamn thing. Do you want me to record um, your written review as like an audiobook for the next episode? Maybe. Okay, just so. It'll be for our, it'll be for our Patreon subscribers. Just kidding, we aren't on Patreon. <laughs> um, our Stitcher Premium subscribers. Uh, no, not that either. Our Blue Apron members. <laughs> our OnlyFans. What's OnlyFans? I've just started hearing about OnlyFans. Is that where people put like sex videos now? Probably because Fine. everyone puts gun videos on Pornhub. Right. Yes. Uh, so while we were on hiatus, I went and saw a film that would have been. Such a fun one for us to review together, and that was Love, Simon. Mm, I've heard so much about that. Yeah. And, you know, and so I saw it and I was like, well, I, I, I feel like I should write something about this because, you know, we make so much noise about being a gay movie podcast, and yet so little of what we say on the show has anything to do with, like, gay movies or gay readings of movies, and it's just our our inherent gayness that we're hoping to to you know, to pull focus with. I like, think that if you go back and listen to the show, our um, our pure gayness is really all over this thing. I mean, I hope Don't that's true. Don't underestimate it. Please. I hope that's true. And I'll try not to. I guess gay Should is... Should I make a super cut? I guess gay is as gay does. Uh, and uh, so in that sense, this show is, 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 is gay enough, I guess. Guys, does it need to be gayer? Let us know. Uh, but since Love, Simon, you know, since we have such a long history of reviewing, you know, teenage coming of age stories, mm. much to your chagrin... Mm-hmm. Um, since this one came along, and it was um, regrettably and lamely historic, just because by the rock bottom inclusion standards of major studio filmmaking, uh, to have a story about a gay teen protagonist in 2018 was literally the first time that any of them have done that. What do you mean? It's the first time that any major studio has had a film with a gay teen protagonist. Uh oh. Oh. Yeah. So Love, Simon is historic for things the TV's been doing since 1994. Wow. That's crazy. It really is. It's really... And so... And the movie is just so non-threatening and so toothless. And so and so basically, um, I don't know what this says about me, but while like everyone else was really like just singing hosannas of praise holy week about <laughs> about like, oh my God, like it's so... Like, let's all go out and support this movie because... 
you know, because this is the first time that a, a studio has put out a movie about like a gay teen romance and, you know, the main character is gay, da, 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 da. And, um, you know, and <clears throat> because it's that weird thing where studios, studios just have us all in such a, 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 a strange beggar position where any time that any movie is about anyone other than the exact status quo, Anytime the movie is entirely a studio movie is is about women, and they're being funny. That is, um, dramatic women studios will do. Sure, female detectives, no problem. But if it's about <laughs> funny women, people of color, LGBTQ people, then every new movie becomes a referendum, right, mm-hmm. on whether or not that can be sustained in the Hollywood studio system. And it happened for Love Simon, and because it was the first time, um, it, weirdly. I mean, I, maybe because maybe because I'm just I'm just too gay, and so I feel like mm. I'm never not thinking about gay movies. This is and, your gay reading. Just take a note. And of course, only about your name. It just was out, and was also a gay teen romance. And you basically called that a breeder film. <laughs> I did not. I was not one of those awful people saying it was a basically a straight movie or mm. about obnoxious bisexual men or any of those other things <laughs> that you did not say. I did not say any of those things. I I d- disagree with those points of view. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, so everyone else was just like, oh my God, this movie is so sweet. And even people who are normally super, super bitchy on Twitter, like, no, uh, like the Lewis Vertels of the world, um, were just mm-hmm. like making these earnest posts like, oh my God, this movie really took me back to my own coming out experience. And I'm like, how, what, what, first of all, I feel like that makes it sound like, oh, I haven't thought about this in years, but you're right. Coming out was tough. I'm like, no. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I don't feel like any LGBTQ person is ever that far from thinking about their coming out experience and how difficult it was. I disagree. Really? Mm-hmm. That's right. You do You do live in quite a bit of denial, don't you? Mm- <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have, um, I'm excellent at compartmentalizing and moving on. I have the memory of a goldfish. Here's what's up with me. <laughs> don't remember. <laughs> right now I'm feeling kind of hungry. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I for, I forget about it. I, like people often, you know, um, if they were difficult, you know, uh, hide trauma from themselves. I guess so, but I guess I just feel like there are so many other movies and TV shows that are about like young queer characters to like remind us of our own experiences. Maybe some of us don't like to go see high school movies. Well, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm not talking about you anymore at this point. <laughs> I'm talking about. Well, we, I mean, I have to give you the dissenting point of view because I would say that yours is your assumption is your point of view, not the status quo. Is my assumption is what that that people are not so removed from their experience is not right. like that you don't have the main like there are other opinions. Sure, that's your experience. Yes, <laughs> this is in case anyone's wondering what dynamic is. Rebecca's point is to let me know that my experience is not everyone's experience. Just to quickly, just to just to bring me back down to earth on that one, <laughs> um, and I thank her for that. But uh, but no, someone like a Louis Fertel, someone else who is who is just like me. Uh, you know, like that's where I get a little confused. Like, how are you, how do you have this much distance mm. from that kind of story that watching this, watching a movie as like basic as Love, Simon is going to be this profound thing like, wow, yeah, that was tough. Uh, I, I just maybe, I don't know. So it made me feel like I was like the bitterest bitch in the mm. world, um, mm-hmm. that I was like coming after this like sweet groundbreaking mm. gay movie just because it it is just so sad that this is what constitutes progressive cinema. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in like 2018. Um, and, uh, and I guess I just feel like we should stop playing this game with studios where we even have to, 
go back to this well again. We play the game every, every, every time. Every time there's a movie of funny women, people of color, gay people, we have to play this game again with them where we're like, is this going to be the time? Oh, hurry up, guys. We all got to go see it to tell the studios that this is really going to, but it never, never lasts. It doesn't matter. You know, like it doesn't last because in the next movie that comes out like that, then we have the same fucking referendum all over again. Hmm. So, you know, I'm just like, yeah. So I think it was more, it wasn't the movie that I had a problem with. I and mean, the movie does have its issues. Which I which I explored at length in my review, um, but uh, but you know it was more just yeah that we have to play this fucking game in the studios where we have to just like be like every crumb of bread from the table um, that isn't just about like the you know the the status quo um, we have to be so grateful for and we have to you know all rally together and fight for and they're not interested in what we have to say. I thought this was a Netflix movie. Nope. No. No. Nope. It's it, is it still in theaters? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Um, and then the other weird thing is that, like, having not actually written a movie review for mm. some time, um, I felt writing is the hardest, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you a writer by trade? I am. But, like, there's a difference between the stuff that I write for work. I can just, like, mm-hmm. I do it all the time. And so it's, like, second nature. Fan fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and so, but then it's the stuff that I, when I'm writing for myself, mm. that I never make time for. And then whenever I do, I have the exact same fucking like Dark Knight of the Soul Odyssey where I'm just like, I'm a fraud. Any talent I had is long gone. I sold it to the man. So it's so that was that was also probably bitterness that I was taking out on Love, Simon. I'd be interested to know what the process is for you that's different from when you are preparing a podcast review versus a written review. Um, That makes one of you. Uh, there was just an, an article that came out. Was it by NPR? Mm-hmm. And it was like, advice for journalists on how to do podcasts oh. i didn't read it I uh, clearly because like... this is like it's all unbalanced and <laughs> shitty storytelling i wonder but, if it was just like how not to be boring journalists probably i mean it, yeah. it sure it's definitely two different things but as someone who started off doing writing then mm-hmm. moved to podcasts and now did writing again recently i'd like to know like what how does the mind so you're watching the movie are you watching right. it the same way and then what's the next step the next step yeah i mean i think that Honestly, I kind of need to write down my thoughts sometimes just so I can be able to express them well. Um, so like sometimes if I'm really like struggling during a review on this show, it's because I have not tried to write down some thoughts to myself because mm. that's how I figure out what I think about things really. Mm-hmm. So either just talk them out with you or I like write them out. So at least have a few observations I can point to. Um, but and that's immediately following the movie. Or generally, mm-hmm. generally. Um, but... But, you know, like writing is just like it just takes fucking forever. And part of why I really responded to doing podcasting when we started doing it was because I could just do it off the cuff. And, you know, like I could it's a completely different part of the brain that I'm like that I'm leaning into. Um, and then you can just sit down with you and just we talk about it for a few minutes, then move on to the next thing. And as opposed to writing that Love, Simon Review took me like six or seven solid hours whoa but i feel like you come to the every episode of the show every movie with like what seems to me like a script like i know sometimes you you do take more notes mm-hmm. um but i feel like regardless of that even when there aren't any notes you still like in my mind you look like you're coming with your whole like all of your points in your head kind of like oh. lined up and, and ready to go well, that's I that's that's an illusion. That's <laughs> what that is. Uh, so I mean, I, I that's, that's flattering to hear, but uh, but no, honestly, like Happy Easter. I've been, I've been. Uh, you're like April Fools. <laughs> you're terrible. Uh, <laughs> I'm leaving the show. But 
uh, but uh, but no, uh, but uh, that's nice of you to say. But enough about me and my process, which is not the most exciting subject. Rebecca, what is up with you? Um, thank you for asking. Um, I was thinking this week about um, how we, you know, we look, we look at movies every week and or we complain about politics, which we haven't done in a while. No, because I don't know about you, but I, I, I just don't have anything to say. <laughs> yeah, same. Numb. They went, they went back on the, the trans troops thing. Uh-huh. It just feels like everything that I would say mm-hmm. would just be too obviously like the truth. I think we got that uh, exhaustion, the the yes. old exhaustion. Yes, exhaustion, fatigue, outrage, fatigue, outrage, fatigue. Yes, as the Onion called it all those years ago. Um, but yeah, so we talk about movies, but the, there are so many other things. So it's funny because your was like your, your your WhatsApp was like there's this other thing that I saw that I hated, and, and I was thinking about this this other thing that I I listened to almost like every day for months now, and um, in one way or another, and I wanted to talk about it because oh. uh, I love it. It's fantastic, and it's. Um, Pretty much all music by Jen Wasner, either Y Oak or her solo album Flock of Dimes. Oh, I, I like Y Oak. I don't think I've heard her solo album. Uh, it you will love it. It mm-hmm. is absolutely amazing. Um, I've been listening to it for a while. Um, like at least for most of last year, I would say I listened to um, like one one song on on her standalone album repeatedly. And then the whole album, uh, just over and over and over again. And now there was kind of a song that came out um, from Y Oak, which is her and her bandmate um, on this like 2016 album. And like that, that I've been listening to to over and over and over again. Um, and she, I don't know, the I I'm not a person that ever listens to lyrics mm-hmm. ever um, because I I don't know. It to me it doesn't really make sense. Like I listen to music for music. Yeah. And no. like lyrics, like if they work, that's amazing. But I don't count on them same i read authors and i listen to music yeah i'm ashamed that i don't pay attention to lyrics anymore but i don't i it it seems i it seems like a weird expectation to to think that someone who's so good at like arranging and writing and creating tunes is also really good at creating lyrics and i just this is just your joanna newsome apologetics rearing no, up she's again. actually one of the that's why i like her so much i like her lyrics oh do you uh okay okay <laughs> all um, those lyrics aren't even words I mean, I, I started off as a Tori Amos fan, so mm-hmm, that does. I'm okay with the nonsensical. I'm okay with like the David Lynch style lyrics. Um, but I feel like Jen Wasner's lyrics, um, it's like when you hear that person that's like, wow, these are the lyrics, mm-hmm. are, they make so much sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I just think her music is incredible and I highly recommend listening um, to to her. Uh, the Flock of Dime album or um, any, any of the Y Oak albums, really. They're just all so amazing. I think the sad truth for me is that, like, for lyrics, they have to get my attention. They have to, like, swear. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you like aggressive music. I mean, I like, uh, not always, but, like, you know, because I, I think it's, I like it better, actually, whenever it doesn't sound like the kind of music that would have, like, um, obscenity in it. And then, you know, like, you know, obviously like, the, the template is <laughs> is building a mystery. Oh. Uh, because yeah. building a mystery, as we all know, is the world's unlikeliest song to have a fuck bomb dropped right in the middle mm-hmm. of it. But Also the world's worst love song. <laughs> The world's worst love song. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you gotta give you know try again. That's all I can say on that. But um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Well, has your episode of playlist come out yet? No, I don't think so. I think I did two of them that they haven't come out yet. Yeah, I was because I feel like it's been a while since I've taped some episodes as well that haven't come out yet. So Josh is 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 being deliberate with his release schedule. But guys, uh, Rebecca and I have both taped uh, multiple episodes of a wonderful music podcast called Playlist. Mm-hmm. 
that is um, headed up by our friend Josh Hallmark, who does the Karen and Ellen letters and our Americana. And uh, so if you're ever looking for more music recommendations from us and other podcasters, you can check out Playlist on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever else. It's a fun little show, and um, and it's it's more than just people being like, here's a song I like, and then everyone listens. It's like, here's a song I like, and then Josh being like, that song's terrible. Uh, and then, <laughs> you think? Oh, and then fights. Well, normally he just says that to me. Uh, uh, no. Yeah, to me, he always yeah. says my songs are terrible. Um, but anyway, there's a pure. There's a both in both episodes I've been on. There's been a, a decent amount of discuss, like disagreement and discussion, mm. and then some surprise um, enjoyment. It's been a really, yeah. really They're roller, roller coasters. coasters. There's you know because like everyone kind of ha- like is like a bit of a, an archetype in in the episodes I've been in. Like yeah. like we have like kind of predictable. At least the songs that we bring to the table are kind mm. of like predictable, even though they're only two or maybe three. Um, but then there's like all these like you know it's like someone who never listens to rap like someone playing his rap song and they're like oh my god this is amazing and it's always kind of these like really cute moments um, mm-hmm. that I that I enjoy. It's a fun show and I believe did you get his season five schedule today? No. Oh, maybe I'm maybe oh. I'm maybe I'm bl- black playlisted. Oh shit! I'm sure it was an oversight. I'm sure it was an oversight. <laughs> maybe that's why my episodes didn't come out. Maybe he hates me. <laughs> yeah. We're you stunk up the place. <laughs> it makes me think of um. Uh, so when the Mindy Project was about to go off the air, uh, Vulture ran this amazing uh list of like the best off-screen gags on the show, which is basically like, when they would like refer to something that happened but didn't happen on the show. <laughs> um, and uh, and so and they broke them into like three categories, and the third one was like um, like notoriety-inducing, um, and one of them was uh. <laughs> uh, sat in the audience at a Dr. Oz taping and the episode had to be thrown out because she burped too much. <laughs> nice. So just the idea of, of, of Mindy sitting there and like the Dr. Oz audience just burping consistently. <laughs> and then they're like in post and they're like, what is that sound? And it's throughout the whole episode because she burped too much. And that is the joke and I've just explained it. Right. Uh, and Shall we get to the movies? Still funny to me. Let's do it. Do we have any picks of the week? We don't. Okay, that's good to know going into this. Um, get ready for disappointment. And movie number one, Ready Player One. In the year 2045, people can escape their harsh reality in The Oasis, an immersive virtual world where you can go anywhere, do anything, be anyone. The only limits are your own imagination. Oasis creator James Holiday left his immense fortune in control of The Oasis to the winner of a contest designed to find a worthy heir. When the unlikely hero Wade Watts conquers the first challenge of the reality-bending treasure hunt, he and his friends, known as the High Five, are hurled into a fantastical universe of discovery and danger to save the Oasis and their world. Who is this Parzival, and how the hell is he winning? Find him. This isn't just a game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis, the world's most important economic resource. It's nothing less than a war for control of the future. Welcome to the rebellion, Wade. God, I hate that when I hear the opening of Jump by Van Halen, after all these years, I just still get this weird tingly rush. Like, oh, oh. shit, here it comes. <laughs> 
I don't know what it is. It, when they played it, so it's not just in the trailer. It's in the movie as well. Mm-hmm. And when I played in the movie, I also, I was like ashamed of myself. I had such like a, a joyous physiological reaction to hearing those opening synths. That I was just like, yes. But then I was like, no, at the same time. Because wow. I, felt, I know. It was a whole arc I went on. You really did all by yourself. It just a tempest in a teapot, just bubbling away <laughs> right next to you. You had no idea because you had Ingu on your right side, hissing hateful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Or you got Ingu'd, as I put it. Because, <laughs> guys, uh, thing to know about our friend Ingu, if you sit next to her at a screening, you will walk away thinking what you just watched was a bad movie because she will say <laughs> terrible things to you about it the entire time. But in this case, she was right. Mm, mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I was young uh i you know when you're young and you do silly things um like super young and jump was on and i was like jumping around with my friends and like i was literally <laughs> jumping on a cue and i like f- fell and broke my ankle so i hate that song couldn't have been any older than 26 <laughs> yeah i mean to the math backwards yeah that's it i was uh, when that song came out got it ready player one steven spielberg you know what that's the man behind animaniacs now one animaniac reference in this movie <laughs> You just found a whole new reason to dislike it. Wow. Yeah, I did. Um, well, but well, it did... actually touches on the, my main reason for disliking it. Well, he supposedly did take out all the references to Spielberg stuff from the book, which so. probably was the worst move ever. Because my so my number one complaint about this movie, I'm just gonna get it out here now because uh-huh. it's it, all the cult and, and this is the book, but whatever, it's the movie. Um, all the cultural references that they hit so hard are things that I could not care less about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's nothing in there that i was like oh that thing nothing even the song jump i'm like i hate that song um references to duran duran uh the video games i never played like it's just slightly like out of my interest group mm-hmm. even though most of those things i'm aligned with age-wise um yeah it's it's weird to it's weird that none of them are crossovers and i'm like oh i like that too I mean, none of it like beetlejuice is in there did not i've only recently seen beetlejuice and you don't like it yeah so what kind of references would you have liked to have seen in it? Oh, good question. Yeah, like, um, my dinner with Andre. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just asking too for so much. I love them. I love them as a kid. What's his name? The Wallace one? Shawn. Wallace Shawn, yeah. yeah. Everyone's kid's favorite actor, Wallace Shawn. <laughs> um, some yeah. people like Wallace and Gromit. I like Wallace Shawn. You're like some last tango in Paris. Who like, am it? I asking for too much? Was the other guy, the guy from The Godfather, uh, Fredo? It was Andre Gregory. I don't, I don't oh, know if never he was mind. in. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, just going off the Steven Spielberg. Uh-huh. Um, you're Animaniacs, like I already like said. Like I already said. Who doesn't love Dot? She's the cutest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jurassic yeah. Park uh-huh. would have been something that would have probably, well, not now because there have been so many of them, but um, that would have resonated. Um, I was thinking about how, because my thought process during the movie was like, oh, fuck this nerd shit. I hate this nerd shit. And then I was like, wait a minute. I like nerd shit. Because earlier in the day, I had went this real like struggle of will because I almost bought these two tiny, you know, what I would put on my desk, Bert and Ernie's uh, action figures. Um, so I'm like, no, I am an idiot child as well. I'm not above it. So Bert and Ernie, I, today I just laugh my ass off at a Kermit the Frog video. Um, anything Muppets. Yes. Clearly. Right. Or just puppets puppets um what else would have been good um so if this would have been done like uh the dark crystal or something if this would have been more of a puppety enterprise maybe yeah maybe that would have been you more might have felt it more exciting mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know what other things from the era would have worked but off yeah. the top of my head but uh, it does i mean i think it's safe to say that like it does <clears throat> it does play it pretty safe in terms of like fanboy canon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh you know uh and it has i don't know it has some fun here and there with it but it does it, it it's 
I don't know that there was that much in there that was that shocking. Honestly, the Shining thing was a shock. The Shining thing, we can maybe highlight that as the best part of the movie? Oh, yeah, unquestioned. So, yeah, this movie has some set pieces Mm -hmm. that are genuinely amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the two primary ones, uh, one being this car chase, Mm -hmm. uh, or car race, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. That involves uh, there's King Kong is in there. Uh, there is just genuinely dizzying special effects. I will say that I felt myself reacting uh, like in a bodily way in, 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 that I cannot think of another movie that made me feel. And I, this is a movie that I would recommend in IMAX. I think, yeah. I think mm-hmm. the IMAX definitely is worth the investment for Ready Player One. We saw 3D IMAX, right? We did see 3D IMAX. Yeah, it's one of those movies, like, if you're going to see it at all, you yeah. have to go see it in 3D is. IMAX. I can't imagine, like, what, yeah. a, what a loss it would oh be Oh, my not. God. It is a spectacle that needs to be witnessed on an IMAX screen, ideally in 3D. So there's this car race scene. Yeah, uh, the, sorry, just to oh, yeah. quickly interrupt you about the car race before, uh, if we move on. Um, the car race scene made me feel like the closest to what I would imagine, like, VR video gaming mm. felt. Like, I felt very, like... yes. Oh, I'm gonna hit that thing, and yeah. then he would like turn. You know, it's, it's like so. It's um, the first challenge of these these couple of challenges he has to go through, and it's set up like a video game, just like a car race video game. And you have all these obstacles, and he figures out how to get around them. But yeah, like while they're doing it, it's cars over cars. You know, it's like a, right. it captures that like dizzying physics of car racing games, mm-hmm. where you bounce off of things, and some things that you can't quite tell will destroy the car, and some things won't. But yeah, it felt like you were. It felt like a an amusement park ride or something that this would make yeah. an amazing amusement park ride it really would and and there's also the fact that this entire part of the movie like like a big chunk of the movie it takes place within the oasis mm-hmm. which means it is just all like it's fully cg we're not watching the actors we're watching their avatars mm-hmm. uh, which are animated <laughs> i'll say animated that way <laughs> in a very animated way <laughs> animaniac see see that was in my head so now it's animated good and uh, so, and so, despite the fact that it was all the fact that you know you would think that maybe it being animated would keep you at arm's length from being able to like w- experience it in such a visceral way, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. I was like fully one hundred percent with what you just said, like all the way there. I was like, I am in this race. This is intense. I am like not. I'm like forgetting to breathe. Mm-hmm. It, it was. It was like white knuckling. Oh my, my popcorn. god! It was so fucking wild. Uh, so there's that. And then a bit later, and this is far and away the most unexpected detour mm-hmm. um, that it takes. And also, in a way, it makes me forgive all like the just like the quick like, oh, oh here comes Chucky. Even Chucky, honestly, I thought was kind of like that was not expected. Um, you know, like I hate Chucky. Like, like this is literally the the opposite. It's like if you have an OK Cupid matching system, <laughs> all the things I've never really liked. I mean, even The Shining. Yeah. I'm never someone that's gonna be like, oh, fuck yeah, The Shining. Like, that's mm-hmm. probably the closest thing that I was like, yes, I, I like this. But, right, um, right. but go on, go on. Well, so yeah, there is a, so yeah, so the whole thing is basically, you know, in this oasis, part of this this quest that everyone's on to inherit the oasis and this fortune um, has to do with, like, you need to figure out how this Halliday guy thought. Mm. And, <laughs> and, and Wade Watts, our hero, played by Ty Sheridan, 
uh, is sort of like apparently the world's foremost um, expert on Halliday's life and thoughts. And there's like this living archive of every moment of his life that you can visit and sort of just like brush up on like details of like, oh, I, I need to, when he said this one word that one time in that one meeting, maybe that meant this. So imagine this a whole movie where the protagonist is that guy. <laughs> yes. Um, so it definitely is a movie where like, yeah, we're super, super, super n- nerd fandom is 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 the ultimate uh is the ultimate asset mm-hmm. Keep that um, in mind. and um to the point where the villain of the piece um played by ben Mendelssohn, who is this guy who, who is the head of a giant super super major tech corporation um who wants to get the oasis and and win the whole thing and get the easter egg so that he can have control over the oasis and get all the money and make everyone pay him um he has an entire army of people who are just nerds. He has like a literal nerd, a lab full of nerds that are there constantly like trying to figure out what how Halliday thought and like what his pop culture obsessions were because knowing that his pop culture obsessions would inform how you navigate this sort of um, Willy Wonka style like thing that he's like th- left out there for people to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing leads to another and it's determined that, that Halliday loved The Shining. And then our characters, as avatars, find themselves in the hotel, in the Overlook. And I'm not going to say too much about it, because the joy for me was just seeing every different place that they took it, and every reference mm-hmm. movie that they worked mm-hmm. in, and every moment they recreated. But I was like, I was overjoyed during that whole sequence. I was like, oh my god. Like, they are really doing this to imagine. And also, just from even like a film nerd point of view... As boring as it is to talk about two, you know, straight white male directors, but to have Steven Spielberg recreate one of the most iconic things from Stanley Kubrick's arguably most iconic movie, it was just like, this is cool. This is the most meta review moment. I couldn't help it. I you're, couldn't... you're, you're Ty Sheridan, right? You're wade, uh, wading out right now. I'm Wade Wadding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it at all. Take it back. I don't know what it means. I don't like it. Don't look at me. I'm Wade Wadding. <laughs> You've been Wade Wadding this whole time. <laughs> like this new higher table. Um, so, yeah. So, um, so that's all cool. But, um, but yeah. So to your point, though, a lot of it d- is more expected. And I think it's just about, I mean, I'm not, ga- I'm not a gamer. Have you ever, like, or do you, you think of yourself as a gamer? A couple of things. <laughs> I don't know. Stop me if I'm going too far. Okay. But I just stop. want to. S- <laughs> I'm Wade Wadding. <laughs> um, as we already mentioned, the movie's in 3D IMAX. Mm-hmm. One thing I don't think anyone, especially pop culture nerds, um, would ever want think they would want to say is, man, The Shining would be cool in 3D. Mm-hmm. But man, it fucking is. Yes. It really is. Yes. Um, and one more point about the 3D. Yeah. There's one other moment where they go to this dance club and they kind of jump in the... Again, this is their avatars. They jump into this dance floor but it's almost like you jump off a ledge over a circle of an abyss and mm-hmm. then you know in, in some you're like floating through space as you dance um and i kept i kept noticing myself like my body was moving like i was like somehow like physically reacting to the way they were moving i kept like catching myself kind of like sliding around like yeah. not dancing but like the 3d um imax yeah. was like really affecting me physically it made you feel like you were in one of those movie theaters in like disney where yeah. it's like the seats are shifting yes, around but it was like my butt <laughs> and that, and there was a moment i was like oh i should like really relearn how to dance 
So there are these. The, I, that, that's the best part of this movie is wow. the whatever the magic of the mm-hmm. um, animation and like, that direction of, yeah. of how those things happen. Yeah. As a gamer, I would say I have spent a uh, yes. I would say I am. I've had periods of of gaming, but I only play very specific games. I don't play things like um, World of Warcraft mm-hmm. or. Um, I don't know. There's like multiplayer. I play like Call of Duty. I only play play games about finance. (laughs) I only play Wall Street. What's it like Wall Street? Mm -hmm. Um, I I play like um, dude bro games like Call of Duty and Need for Speed and Grand Theft Auto. Um, I like will log on and like yell homophobic slurs at kids (laughs) and then hang up and go to bed. (laughs) She contains multitudes, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Um, but there, there are a lot of. Um, so, so, so you're a gamer, but then like you just feel like you're a gamer about things that this movie didn't tap into, right? Except for the car race, which was like exciting, right? Yeah, which, the end, I wonder why like you screamed these, faggot like... at the top of that scene. <laughs> I was like, what did I do? But no, it was just your gamer self coming out. Oh man, I think the other frustrating part of the movie was that there was this person. <laughs> I'm just picturing what your like handle is, like Fag Stomper sixty nine. Okay, it's actually a funny story. <laughs> They banned me, and I had to change Fag Stomper 70. <laughs> Who knew you, you couldn't use a swastika right. as an avatar? <laughs> um, I had I had recently was gonna was gonna revamp my online presence in in the gamer world. Oh, and I decided to because I I also play NBA the NBA 2K games, which is I'm really I'm into those the most. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm gonna make it all basketball themed. And I was like, what's like a cool basketball name? And like this is the thing I'm the worst at. I'm not really bad at thinking of like names of stuff. And somehow in like a fit of like finding finally like just wanting to play, I was like picked one that I thought was really cool and then I looked at it later and I and I realized that it sounds like a British slang for a gay person, which is stone juggler. <laughs> <laughs> so I got mine. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna sound like I'm badass. Like I play with like rocks, and then I was like, oh, oh, oh. oh. oh now I have to pay to change it again. Now I have to pay to change it again. Just like, <laughs> so just like, oh, you know, it sounds really bad if you're just like salad tosser. You know, cause I'm just like, yeah, these kids don't even know what's what hit them. I toss their salads. Like they're all turned around. Uh, Literally. <laughs> But they, oh. I don't. So the they have this like scenes at the end. Are you you're still okay? Because like, then like the kids start like, throwing the homophobic slurs at you. They're like, yes. "Oh, he's stone juggling." You're like, "I've done this to myself." <laughs> I'm the F word. <laughs> <laughs> and then I hang up my headset. <laughs> Screw you guys. There was this part where um it, a lot of like these like um, multiplayer online game. Uh, scenes are referenced because they these like hordes of people which to me like the last half of the movie is just one of those Clash of Clans commercials <laughs> um, and the other thing this thing is I guess this made the movie enjoyable is that one of my favorite things is making fun of things like Second Life oh uh-huh and that's, this is one giant Second Life movie big fan of like there's something called Second Life griefers there are people who go on to Second Life and they don't like straight up harass people but they they basically just microaggress people, like create microaggressions in, in ways that's like, um, so for instance, in Second Life, um, there's a whole like horse trading world. And these people like show up at these auctions and, and, and bid on these horses. And people take this all seriously. There's a person who's like doing the descriptions and the calling of the money. It's so ridiculous, right? Because none of this is real. 
I wish and you could all see the faces I'm making to everything she's saying. It's so good. I, I'm, let's, maybe I'll put the link in here somewhere to my favorite griefer video. And so the griefer is just at this auction and he just does the subtlest things. He'll like bid and he'll be like, you know, like 400 US dollars. And they'll be like, it's not US dollars. We use Lindens here in Second Life. Like, please go and like exchange the money at the thing. And he'll be like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they'll be like later and he'll be like, 700 US dollars. Like it's these like very tiny things or he'll be like, well, where is the horse? And like how much, like how big is it? And like how much you've been feeding? Like it's these very tiny, or they'll say like things like two seconds too late. Just, so like rattling, get like, just rattling the nerds. Right. Just rattles the nerds who take this like so seriously. It's, I, when I, on my deathbed, I will regret not having spent more time. Griefing. Griefing nerds on Second Life. <laughs> That'll be your final grief. It's my favorite uh See, honestly, when you said griefers, I assumed it, I was picturing these like sad, soulful widowers. Like going into like creating a second life where their wife is still alive or something. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, God. <laughs> so um, not grievers. Griefers. Grief, yeah, they Givers of grief, grief, not bearers of grief. People who work in these like trade shops and then they'll be like, uh, they'll tell people that they can't return baby clothes because that's a thing you do. And to me, it's just like when people go and do these like really mundane and things in second life and are so serious about it. It's, I mean, I'll, just, I'll share some links. Okay. Um, but, and the other funny thing is how in Second Life, like, everyone's all these, like, ridiculous characters, and it's, like, there are all these funny videos of, like, because it's also full of sex, right? So it's, like, some guy dressed as, like, a two-foot toad, or, like, a two-foot turtle that's, like, hitting on this woman that looks like a, you know, like a human woman stripper, and then you, they, like, record their conversations. Um, so you'd see these in, in, in Ready Player One, where you'd see these whole armies of people, and then you'd see, like, one little, like... I don't know, raccoon with a hat on. And just like, I don't know if you kept noticing, I just kept laughing my ass off at random periods. It would be like, oh, that's an ostrich with an umbrella running across the screen, like about to fight Mega Godzilla or whatever. Mecha Godzilla? Right. Not to be, conf- not to be confused with Mecha Carol Wangstrom. <laughs> Never forget. All right. once happened. But guys, I am blindsided by everything Rebecca has just said. Sorry, I dropped a lot on you right there. Back <laughs> did, to the movie. Did not know that it went that deep for her. It goes real deep. Wow. Well, now I know. Now I know. I had a face. Um, I'm glad that you came to see this movie. I really am. It makes me want to go back and watch all those YouTube videos about Second Life. You'll love them, I think. Um, okay, so uh, so you are a gamer, um, and so even as a gamer, <laughs> answer the question. Um, <laughs> uh, so as a gamer, mm-hmm. you still um, found this movie to be disagreeable. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm not a gamer, and so I was just thinking, like, oh, you know, I was doing that thing that you called me out for earlier. I'm just like, everyone thinks like me. So as Rebecca and I both think as non-gamers, and we were both looking at this movie as non-gamers. So you done schooled me mm-hmm. just now. Full of surprises. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, story-wise, you know, it's 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 nothing that fresh. Story, it's story-wise, incredibly stale. It's a very, very familiar kind of you know, Samson, or I was at Samson and Delilah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Taylor's oldest time. <laughs> and Ben Mendelsohn is the Delilah. Oh, Bendelson. And uh, he makes Wade Watts cut his hair. Um, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a real David and Goliath story. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Goliath, Delilah, there's a clear <laughs> echo in those names. I stand by it. And um, so, uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's your classic David and Goliath, your classic sort of like, scrappy kids taking on evil corporation Mm -hmm. like you know it's but you know it's easy to get engrossed by um you know even though we're like okay we 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 know where this is going um just because like spielberg i think has succeeded in upping the razzle dazzle to a to a point that he makes it a big deal um to me this is 
you know, I, I did not love this movie. Um, but I think for me, Spielberg has has lowered the bar for himself so much um, in the last like 20 years mm. um, that I became convinced. And I think I loudly complained about this when we reviewed the post. I was like, mm. this man would just does not know how to make a movie that feels modern anymore. He doesn't know how to make a movie that feels modern, that has any youth or vitality to it. He It's just lost on him. Like he's just, he's, he, he can't do it anymore. You know, he can make these like sentimental movies uh, like The Post or maybe, he, you know, he can make a very serious movie like Lincoln. Um, but that's it. Um, his attempts to do anything else are just not going to work. And I have to say, like, I think that this is his most, his most energetic, his most lively, uh, his most entertaining uh, sort of family oriented movie since Jurassic Park. And I went back and I looked at his filmography, <laughs> uh, and I think that you know the only thing that I'd be, that I could even come close to comparing it to would be Tintin, Avengers of Tintin, because that was a fun little movie, but that was like fully animated. So in terms of like a live action movie that's like a full on like popcorn spectacle, I think this is the best popcorn spectacle Spielberg has made since Jurassic Park. I'm not saying that I think it's great, um, but I do think that it shut my mouth and it surprised me in terms of just the energy and the fun uh, of this movie. So that was my takeaway from it. Uh, and, you know, and the set pieces are, of course, the best parts of it. Does the, does it go on too long? Yes. This movie is like two hours and 20 minutes long. Does not need to be that long. But still, I was, I was just like never bored, um, even though it very much threatened to become, for me at least, like that kind of the thing that no one likes where you're like, cool. So I'm literally just watching a video game now. Um, mm. You know, but for me, I think that it did, it, it was, it, it did a deft job at balancing the human element with like the video game element um, enough that it kept me kind of um, tethered to it. So I think we agree um, in, in the video game element was dynamic. Um, and this, I think the video game element is different from like being a gamer because we're sort of talking about this like immersive, um, otherworldly, um, where where you feel like you're in the video game as well, mm-hmm. and I think that was very exciting, and it, and it was impressive, and it, uh, we've already talked many times about how these have been like new feelings that we've had mm-hmm. in physical space. Right. I think the human element of this movie um, is brings the whole thing down to be unwatchable. Unwatchable. You think it's that bad? Yeah, and I mean like um, I'm not measuring it against Spielberg, and I'm. And I'm not measuring it like against the book because clearly a lot of it is, you know, it's it's, the, it's a book. Sure. But if you are, you know, trying to engage with the movie, with a movie, like the story is beyond trite into a point where it's, to me, I found it unbearable. Hmm. The fact that like he pursues a girl um, who tells him who has like a, a, a more, a bigger agenda about saving the planet and, and he he like fucks up her safety because he has a crush on her and can't get over that. And he dismisses his best friend. And then he likes a girl in spite of the fact she has a birthmark. Um, and then the, the dynamic with the, the corporation, like the corporation main character was so Ben Mendelsohn's character was so flat. And so um, like uh, there was no, as you would say, shading. It was mm-hmm. just like, this is the evil corporation guy who literally wears a suit. Then the end of it, like with like taking him away in, in handcuffs, felt like a Christmas movie. The Spoiler end of it, alert. yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, 
it felt like the Christmas movie where it's like, then the family gets the thing and the evil corporate guy goes away and he has like a black eye. And like, mm-hmm. then it's like, it so wraps up so cleanly and it, it was really completely unbearable for me. There was also a trend alert, by the way, um, trend alert between this and Blade Runner 2049. Um, the new trend is for evil corporate overlords to have as their main henchman, a brunette woman with strong bangs. Mm. Yes. Trend watch. Trend watch. Trend watch on that. Binge bangs alert. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to wait watch myself some binge bangs. Um, <laughs> so I think that, uh, well, I think that, you know, looking back at Jurassic Park, since I brought that up as an example, I think that Jurassic Park succeeded because the spectacle was something that's never been done before. Mm-hmm. You know, so what Spielberg did with that was he, he revolutionized visual effects in a way that had never been, um, you know, come close to. And I think that this time in Ready Player One, he again kind of does that. He does it in a in a, in a less focused way. Since in that movie, it was just like it's dinosaurs. It's mm-hmm, about the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And in this, it's like this whole immersive world, and it's like these the yeah, just like the wild um, sort of like VR simulated uh, kind of experience you have watching it. So I feel like he's made this an event movie. And I don't think that the characters in Jurassic Park were all that developed either. But it was um, a different time still. Well, yeah, sure. No, it was a different time. Um, but I guess I just mean in terms of like, uh, you know, it's still revered as like a masterpiece. And, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, like, it, yeah, it would be, ideally, yes, this giant popcorn movie would have like more developed characters. I My issue with the characters is more along the lines of, you know, that we have this, you know, the, the movie kind of goes to considerable length to have a diverse group of friends for mm-hmm, our white mm-hmm. hero. Um, and then each of them, one after the other, basically like sacrifices themselves, um, you know, not not literally not to not to die in real life, at least. But, you know, the, the, their primary goal is to help their white dude friend win this thing when they are also in the competition. Right. They're all in the in the top yeah. Uh, group, but they, yeah, yeah. I mean, in this life, they literally do give their online lives and everything they mm-hmm. worked for for them to for him to succeed. In one particularly troubling moment, mm-hmm. uh, Lena Waithe's uh, so Lena Waithe is in the movie, and it's great to see her. Um, although <laughs> I feel like before every take, Spielberg would just take her aside and say, Okay, Lena, give me energy. Yeah, 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 because it like peaked and then it kind of valleyed. It- yeah, I think that because I think that, you know, we all fell in love with her on Master of None because she was so incredibly exquisitely chill. Yep, yep. Um, and that was her vibe and that was her persona. And then and so to see her trying to do like this Spielberg almost kid acting, be like, mm-hmm. hey, look out. Uh, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> right. Is, yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it's a little it's not it's not a successful performance. Um, great to see her all the same. But there's a scene where her avatar, who at this point is Iron Man. Another Iron thing, Giant. I, or Iron Giant, yes. Another, Which I've never seen. Well, I don't care about Iron Giant. Um, the, one was a Gundam? Gundam? I don't know. The other character that sacrifices himself is the Gundam Knight? Airbender? No, Gundam. Oh, is it? Oh, God. It's yeah, a I thing I don't know. Either. I don't know if it's no. a card game or a video game. There's some Mortal Kombat stuff. So, yeah, Lena Waithe, when she's the Iron Giant, there's a scene where um, this sort of giant, uh, there's like this this bridge between these two pieces of land blows up, and then there's, you know, and then there's a giant golf, but they need to get across the golf to win the game. And so um, Lena, as the Iron Giant, spreads her whole body across this gulf so that the white hero can literally walk across her body mm-hmm. 
uh, Mm -hmm. to get to his victory. And then she falls to her death. Yep. So that and then the uh, the Asian character who is the Gundam, Mm -hmm. again, sacrifices the maximum uh, power of their character and ends up dying. Yeah. Once again. Yeah. um, So that the white guy can be with the white girl Mm -hmm. to get the company from the The rich white man man, and then get the approval of the other white man uh, to keep it away from the other white man like so yeah this plus the like you know historically white male nerddom culture and you know um Asbergian style memorization of these these things and obsessiveness, mm-hmm. um, and then the like sliding of the whole the birthmark thing was insulting. It really was. I that was a real lapse in sensitivity. So the the case there is that whenever we are whenever Wade meets um, his his female counterpart in real life for the first time. And uh, in after some initial sort of almost gay panic of like, oh, what you right, you assume that? you assume that she's as hot in real life as her avatar. It could be some three hundred pound dude in his mom's basement. That old trope, that old chestnut that we right. never get tired of citing as like the example of the world's most pathetic person. Right. Um. So, uh, and then you know, and then luckily for him, as she is, you know, more or less, you know, the, the a physical equivalent of her avatar, mm-hmm. played by Olivia Cook, who's a fine fine actress, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. also in Thoroughbreds. Um, and she has a birthmark that she, that like over her right eye and she kind of wears her hair long on that side over her eye to cover it. And then within like seconds of meeting her in real life, he is like, like basically being like, I, I, oh, are you, you're trying to hide your birthmark? You're, you're still beautiful. You're beautiful anyway. Right. And, and it's just like such as weird, like in the fact that she like takes it and she's like, Hmm. instead of being like yeah motherfucker like right. i don't think that there's anything wrong with my birthmark why do you feel like you need to tell me that right um i but, feel like even if that was written into the story they could have changed it by making like having her avatar have a birthmark right and like exactly. having her own it right um that was so right. all those things combined um yeah. it, it, that's what outweighs the funness of yeah. um it makes it uh, really really impossible for me well and just and just the holiday character we talked about oh this my a god bit we haven't talked about, we're talking we're doing the whole movie podcast about this movie yeah. that we hate yeah um and it's the only one rebecca saw this week so the next two reviews will be a little bit quicker <laughs> um, <laughs> i have a lot of feelings about dogs <laughs> she's like i'm a cat person send it back moving on <laughs> <laughs> exactly so um no so Halliday is played by Mark Rylance Oscar winner for Bridges Spies um and he is meant to be this character who's like this Steve Jobsian kind of like this this tech enigma visionary who changed the whole world um but he definitely is but Mark Rylance plays him like a severely emotionally stunted man child severely with, who, he, he carries Maybe himself physically stunted he carries himself like he gets struck by lightning <laughs> like he looks and talks and sounds and moves like a man who was struck maybe not even just once by lightning <laughs> It can't happen. There's um, one line in the movie I remember laughing out loud at um, where one of the challenges, and again, we're basically spoiling this shit. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges is like, she figures out, she was like, that's the one thing that he couldn't do. He couldn't kiss a girl. Right. His biggest like, fear, the only thing he was really afraid of. is kissing a girl. I, I laughed out loud. Because at this oh, point, yeah. the character that they're talking about in real life was like an adult man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like, a teenager. No. Yeah, no. He, fully fully well middle-aged at least mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um uh, grown man uh so so if like so just the, the i don't know what was going on mm. how they how they 
concepted the character of Halliday. I don't know how he's described in the book, but it feels like Mark Rylance is just like, it feels like almost like a scathing performance that Mm -hmm. he's just like, here's what I think about these kinds of fucking guys. Right, right. Um, Because it doesn't feel, it's, it's not affectionate. It's not Mm-mm. flattering. Um, he just has like this thousand yard stare and this like monotone mumble and and is still wearing and it has like, you know, like fucking Christopher Lloyd right, hair. Right. It's um, like if um, Rain Man and Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future yeah. had some sort of joint character. He's not a man that inspires curiosity. No. He's not a man that makes you feel like I want to figure out his every thought. Um, no, all people could, would sit in that like um, chamber of his secrets mm-hmm. and or his journals, <laughs> chamber of secrets. <laughs> okay, where were the Harry Potter references in this? Um, yeah, there's this part where they like figure out something based on something he says, and even the way they stop and they rewind to play it again, it's like the most boring line. He says it in the most boring way. So boring. It's it's. So yeah, really, really hard to understand how that would be a character that people yeah. would devote their lives to studying. It's hard to have a movie built around an oracle as. As just completely boring. Mm-hmm. Guy. Man, it made me miss the Oracle from The Matrix. The mm-hmm. Matrix would have been a great reference. Mm-hmm. That's something that I feel like I would be have like a nerd. That, that would have done something about. for you. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit ready, later, but Ready Player Two. Maybe it'll be that one. Right. They'll bring you in the references you want, but in the meantime, you are giving it. Man, it's a tough one. Okay, here's what I'm gonna say. Yeah. If you can see it in 3D IMAX and you go in being prepared to be disappointed on the story, I give it. Uh, consume plus binge light. Ooh, wow! I am shocked. Or if you hear that they're making a uh, Disneyland ride, skip the movie. Just go to that binge plus. If you cannot see it in 3D IMAX, send it back. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, I think that for me, uh, I think it's just a solid consume, consume moderation. Uh, I, I Way to put that. Into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll split the difference and just say consume, <laughs> um, because you know I, I I think that regard I think that that is the best way to see it. I don't think that if you see it on a regular size movie screen that you're going to be like this is shit necessarily. No, I think you absolutely will. I think if you, I'm not I kidding. Think, I think you know whether or not you're the kind of person who would enjoy this movie. Um, but uh, but yeah, for me it's just a solid consume regardless of screen. But I do strongly strongly or recommend agree with Rebecca's recommendation to see it on IMAX 3D if at all possible you will not regret it it's rated PG-13 for sequences of sci-fi action violence bloody images some suggestive material partial nudity and language movie number two Isle of Dogs which I just learned is a pun on I Love, I love Dogs, dogs. Uh-huh. did we both see that same tweet? <laughs> uh, you know which I mean I feel like must love dogs uh, is already a movie mm. that exists so why we need I Love Dogs I too then I don't know when, by executive decree, all the canine pets of Megasaki City are exiled into a vast garbage dump called Trash Island. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I call my Wi-Fi. Twelve-year-old Atari sets off alone in a miniature junior turboprop and flies across the river in search of his bodyguard dog, Spots. There, with the assistance of a pack of newly found mongrel friends, he begins an epic journey that will decide the fate and future of the entire prefecture. Your Wi-Fi isn't also a stone juggler? Shut up. The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. 
Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Let's start off with, Jason, what is your favorite Wes Anderson movie? I think I'd have to go with the Grand Budapest Hotel mm. at this point. I was just talking about this with someone the other day, and I feel like for me, his two best movies are that and Moonrise Kingdom. I think those two wow. back-to-back as live-action features were him at his best. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, how about you? Okay. Thank you for asking. Um, I would go hands down uh, Royal Tenenbaums uh-huh. as number one. Yeah. And then maybe, um, hmm. Oh, oh, oh. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. One is a uh, comedy for the ages, and the other is um, just a sex romp. (laughs) (laughs) That fucking fox in that little corduroy suit, are you kidding me? Just smutty. Stop it. Stop it. Smutty is what it is. That's irresponsible. Reading my journals. Promotes bestiality, really. Don't say that. (laughs) No, don't say that. Listen, I'm reading between the lines of what you're saying. Mm. You're saying it made you want to fuck a fox, okay? <laughs> I mean, so let's not act like I said the bad I, that's thing. That's what I heard you saying. Wait till I cut the shit out of this. <laughs> you just wait. Always you with your threats. You don't want to learn how to edit? Uh. <laughs> so yeah, Fantastic and Fox. I, I like the comedies. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, the sincere ones, um, not as much. Well, the important thing is that neither of us like the Darjeeling Limited. Mm. And so we are like most of humanity in that sense. Well, they, he hasn't really had like super serious ones. I think everything he's made has been like had... not serious, but I felt like Moonrise Kingdom was it's was on was on my low end uh, oh. because it's like so saccharine and so sweet, um, and it doesn't have that like biting sort of uh, almost like Larry David like feel of like Rushmore and um, Royal Tenenbaums. So I guess I feel like it still did, though, because I think in the adults, they still had that. You know, mm-hmm. when you think about, like, Francis McDormand in that movie or mm-hmm. Tilda Swinton in that movie. Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, and the kids, the only thing that bugged me about the kids was that they were just such, like, hipstery perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, Remember all so, the Halloween costumes after that? Yeah. That's unforgivable. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I'm not going to blame the movie for people being terrible, but... Uh, but you know, I, I I still thought that Moonrise Kingdom was 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 brilliant, and uh, and the kids did not. I did not think it was saccharine at all. Um, you know, I thought it was still the very, the very precise Wes Anderson tone and voice and and storybook approach and diorama vibe and all the rest of it. Also, I I liked the Life Aquatic. Yeah, the Life Aquatic. I only watched once, and it's been a long time. I don't really know where I mm, where I okay. land on that one. I would. But. I think I would rewatch Rushmore because I loved it, but I wonder now if he would annoy the fuck out of me. Yeah, I think that's the thing about those earlier movies of his is that they kind of. I think that the the the, the preciousness, had I think will will not age well. Isle of Dogs. Uh, here we have another stop motion animation film, um, which I uh, assume is done beautifully. Oh, exquisite. Do you just want to give a quick summary of the visuals here? Uh, they are lovely. Uh, they are perfect. Everything about it, visually speaking, is is a completely beyond reproach. Uh, no complaints on uh, the visuals. Mm-hmm. The man knows what he's doing. It's and... really like, I wonder what working with him is like. It must be such such time, time he must... consuming, painstaking attention to detail. 
I wonder if it's like, I'd like to see like a how he works kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, he's got to work with the same people over and over again, because I'm sure he needs to work with people who he feels like understand his exact aesthetic and what he exactly needs. Right. Because you need so many hands on deck for that kind of work. Oh my God. And you can't explain everything over and over again. No, no. Um, Okay. Number two, um, the voice acting. We have uh, some of the usual characters. We have some new characters. Um, Who's the top, the top set? Uh, the, main, the main dogs, the big dogs. Well, so uh, we have, uh, as the dogs, uh, we have Brian Cranston, we have Jeff Goldblum, we have Bob Balaban, uh, we have Scarlett Johansson, uh, we have, um, I'm going to say O. Wilson brother, mm-hmm. probably Owen, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Murray. Of course. Yeah. Uh, so those are the dogs. And, uh, and those are all uh, white American actors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, about dogs that are in Japan. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and, but how do they sound? They affectionate. Amer- American. War- okay, gotcha. English. Uh, N- I feel like there's a this movie takes place in Japan. It does. Um, does does that in does that influence how you feel about the movie at all, or uh, maybe the direction that it was taken? Do you have anything to say about that? I'm gonna take a quick smoke. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I, I will say uh, that the voice acting of the dogs is very funny. Um, and it, it, it completely a hundred percent has that very droll, very low key Wes Anderson humor to it. Mm-hmm. Um, timing, all of it is perfect. Um, except for the context of it makes it inappropriate because this, because he, for reasons that no one knows and may never know, he decided to have the story take place in Japan. And there is a card at the beginning of the film that explains uh, what you're about to see language-wise, namely that they are not going to be, there are not going to be any subtitles in the movie. And so, and they say, you know, you will either know what people are saying um, because you are inferring it based on the context or there will be a, uh, a interpreter there. Francis McDormand does the voice of an interpreter. Uh, or they're like in the case of the dogs, their barks have been translated to English. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so it has the kind of strange effect of turning the actual Japanese characters in a story that takes place in Japan into foreigners in their own story. Because we don't mm. know what they're saying and we know what the dogs are saying and the dogs are voiced by white American actors. So it's the strangest. Oh. It's the strangest choice. It's like he uh, assignmented it. It's assignmented it. <laughs> it's it. Uh, Wade wanted it, and and it's almost like he thought he was actually making a, a more kind of like progressive, interesting, artistic choice by not subtitling the Japanese, and was like, well, I'm going to confront you know American audiences and make them try to make sense of the Japanese language, um, even though they won't be able to. Um, but but by but by creating these characters and by making it so that we literally can't understand them it's their story and we can't understand them um and then foregrounding the dogs and then not just the dogs see this is where if it was just the dogs um it would still be like okay that's really questionable that you've made this choice um is to have it so that we only understand these dogs in the language they're speaking and also the, the questionable sensitivity of a, of a movie in which uh, we have a bunch of Japanese people who are 
um, putting a bunch of American voice characters into a camp. Mm. Uh, so that not great sensitivity wise. Uh, and you know, to have an American filmmaker make a movie in which Japanese characters are um, are creating this sort of internment camp of sorts mm. for dogs that are in, that are brought to life by the voices of famous white American actors. A little backwards, a little historically off. Uh, a little questionable. So that would all already be questionable. But then the, the, the charm streak of Lady Bird comes to a grinding halt in this film because there's a character who is a foreign exchange student from America, a white teenage girl with an enormous blonde afro. Mm. And she's played by Greta Gerwig. And she is here to tell all these Japanese folks that they need to get their shit together and stop being such wimps and go get their dogs back. It is a full-on 100% white savior. Of uh, dogs. Of dogs. Um, and also of the Japanese who have been so weak that they've just given in to their ruler um, and, and let him carry out uh, his, his, his petty uh, decree to send all dogs to this island because he doesn't like dogs. Wow, this feels like really, this doesn't feel like a, a, a tone that Wes Anderson would have at all. I mean, it's it's it still feels tonally very Wes Anderson, um, but it does kind of get, so there's not, and, the, and then she's not the only young character. There's also, so the evil ruler has a 12-year-old nephew whose dog, who's like guard dog, uh, was one of the ones that was first banished to the island. And so we go and we follow him over there and we watch as he works with the dogs on the island um, to try to track down the one that that was his so we can be reunited with that dog. You would be a wreck. Yeah, this whole thing sounds like something yeah, I, I see your watch. eyes getting glassy. <laughs> uh, so, but then we don't have any subtitles for that character, for this boy character. He also just doesn't speak super a lot. And then meanwhile, back on, on the mainland in Japan in this fictional city of Megasaki, which is 100% like sounds like the name that a white person would think of for a fictional Japanese city. Mm. Um, he's like, oh, I love Saki. And what is it called? Megasaki. Oh. Mm-hmm. Not a real place. No. And and so then back there, we have Greta Gerwig's character running around being this hero, being, you know, mobilizing uh, all the people to be like, what's wrong with you? Fight back. Uh, you know, like, you know, get your dogs. And there's a scene where she literally confronts, she like, there's a, <laughs> Yoko Ono does a voice in this film. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, she plays the voice of, of like a scientist, a researcher, because you see the whole thing is the way that this evil leader has managed to uh, pull off this, this, this campaign to, uh, to demonize this population of dogs is by creating um, sort of like a false story that there is a dog flu that is going around and turning dogs into like rabid monsters. And, um, and so Greta Gerwig's trying to get to the bottom of this whole dog flu thing. And then there's a scene where she like confronts Yoko Ono in a bar um and uh <laughs> that sounds like a terrible idea um and uh but then yeah but then it's sort of like and then she goes in and there's a just tells yoko about herself and is like you know like you allowed this to happen and uh and this so it's just it is yeah singularly unfortunate this character uh and it, wow and it really like the shaky ground it was already on it tips just unambiguously into full-on insensitivity 
and poor judgment. And I think if there was ever any question as to whether Wes Anderson is even mildly tethered to reality, (laughs) I think this movie puts it to rest um, because it is just, you know, like he's, He's of that same peer group as Sofia Coppola, and this feels like a movie that would have come out in the year Lost in Translation came out, and at the time, most people wouldn't have said anything about it because we weren't having these conversations yet in this scale, And but if Lost in Translation came out today, it would just be torn to shreds. Right. Yeah. I mean, we saw um, The Beguiled. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, and yeah, so this is this is somewhat similar to that. So, you know, and I think that, you know, appropriation is still, you know, appropriation versus appreciation and all that stuff. Um, but I think that this, it just feels like it crosses the line. It crosses the line. And uh, and that makes, it just taints the entire thing. And add to that, that people are falling asleep in this movie. In, really? In noticeable, and in, 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 it's, 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 the other trend right now, beyond um, beyond brunette banged uh, henchwomen, be banged, be banged, <laughs> <laughs> but banged. Um <laughs> Henchwomen is people falling asleep during this movie. Really? Yes. Um, two friends of mine saw it together and both fell asleep on a Saturday afternoon screening. Um, and then I was making fun of them for that. But then Vulture ran a story about how people are falling asleep during Isle of Dogs. Really? Uh, it's just so soothing. He's perfected yeah. that. And you can't understand it. So you're like... Exactly. It's so soothing. It's so quiet. Um, even aside from all of the, the issues around the racial, racial cultural, and sensitivity... Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, there's not much. I'm to, buying a ticket to it right now. There's not much, <laughs> I haven't had a good sleep in weeks. There's just not much to it story-wise. Like it really, like it has a really strong first act. The first act I was thinking, oh my God, this is going to be one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Um, but, uh, but then it just kind of runs out of steam. And so I'm not surprised to hear that people are falling asleep in the middle of it. Um, all because it is just so soothing and so quiet and it does things just, it runs out of steam. Like the novelty of what you're watching starts to wear off. Mm. And um, although I will say I have never in my life fallen asleep in a movie theater. I have. And I don't remember what movie it was. See, I just don't. I can't. Uh, Maybe it's the other podcast. <laughs> I I can't. Even when I'm at home, I can't fall asleep when I'm watching movie, a movie or a TV show unless I'm super drunk. Which is often, and I and I no. de- and I definitely don't. So if I'm not doing it at home, I'm definitely not going to do it in public, because my fear of fears is falling asleep and then farting a lot in public. <laughs> so that is something. Listen, the fear of that will always keep me awake when I'm I in public. I feel like the movie I fell asleep at was like a, a a big loud movie too. It was something I didn't want to see. It was like a blockbuster or something, hmm. and I fell asleep during it. I feel like I fell asleep like immediately during it too. <laughs> I wonder if this is a movie where you like never told me you fell asleep and just tried to like fake your way through the review we did of it. <laughs> You're like, ah, send it, it was back. Uh, Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. <laughs> but I feel like my instincts were correct. Right. Um, you, just, you just have your eyes painted on glasses. You pop on and they just what, doze right off. Something just made me think of the movie Mother. I definitely did not fall asleep during it, but I feel like I need to revisit my thoughts about that. About that movie? Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts about it the last time? I hated it. Oh, oh yeah, you should revisit that. All right. Well, now, now I'm gonna want to. Never mind. So was, defiant. Damn it. <laughs> um, so, are the um, the grave cultural errors made here? Um, are they enough to in, to affect your review of this movie? Uh, you know, they are a bit. Um, and I think the thing is, like, 
there is still good stuff in this. And <laughs> the thing is that any movie now that has like a cartoon dictator villain is going to feel politically relevant mm-hmm. because we have a cartoon dictator for a president. Right. And so we're watching this, you know, this the prime minister of Japan. We're watching him just be a Trump. We're watching him just be completely irrational. We're watching him fully scapegoat this, basically this minority community mm-hmm. of dogs. Um, and he is, is creating a, a false narrative in the press that is no basis in reality that this population is rabid and feral and can't be trusted. They're a danger to you. They're a danger to all of us. Mm-hmm. So like, so that lands. It's not the first time. <laughs> That's sure, tales yeah. all this time, which right. is why it's so depressing that there's our literal news cycle every day. Um, but, you know, so if it wasn't during the Trump presidency, it would just seem like, oh, okay, this is just like another sort of over-the-top cartoon villain. But nope, nope, just kidding. It's our president. Um, but... So those things are are impactful about it, and um, I think there is you know you, like you would absolutely no question be a wreck if you watch this movie in mm-hmm. terms of the you know kids looking for the pet thing. Oh god, yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna keep talking about it because I want to keep you present, but uh, but you know uh, so but it does that that is just it's it's just not forgivable and it's not I'm not gonna say send it back, um, but I will say that like this should have been a binge it. And mm-hmm. and I still almost considered it making the pick of the week, just because compared to the other two, it's still by far my favorite. Um, but it's just irresponsible, and um, and I hope it gets through to Wes Anderson that he did fuck up on this, um, because like I just don't understand why he created you know he 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 creates fictional locations all the time. Grand Budapest Hotel was in a fictional location. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom was on a fictional island. So just no one knows why he decided to make this take place in japan beyond just him being of that exact brand of hipster that is a fucking japan fetishist Mm -hmm. you know like the exact kind of just like you know like cool design aesthetic art minded white dude who is obsessed with japanese culture um and who but who maybe doesn't who thinks he can just have this full aesthetic appreciation of it um and somehow stay above the conversation of appropriation but he fucks up too much in this to keep his uh, to keep his hands clean. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the problem with appropriation, right? It's like if you just treat an entire society as a design aesthetic um, right. and don't think about it in terms of human stories, and that's exactly what makes there's no above that. Right, and that's it, exactly what he does here. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're giving it a bit, uh, consume. Yep. Um, Isle of Dogs is rated PG-13 for thematic elements and some violent images, and that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Final Portrait. The story of the touching and offbeat friendship between American writer and art lover James Lord and Alberto Giacometti as seen through Lord's eyes and revealing unique insight into the beauty, frustration, profundity, and sometimes the chaos of the artistic process. Alberto Giacometti, one of the most accomplished and respected artists of his generation, asked me to sit for a portrait. I've got the flight the next day is the only thing. That's fine. It gives us enough time? Yes. You're my husband's next victim. Lower your chin. A little to the right. Not so far. Stay there. Jason, you have a wonderful time uh, watching the movie that I call a long stare at a hard bod. (laughs) (laughs) No, a long stare at a hot bod. A hot stare cold, at a long cold, uh, cold eyes on a hot body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will say that I chose to review this movie because it is a movie about painting Army Hammer. 
staring at Army Hammer. I think that this is a good time uh, for us as we are continuing our path out of award season to just just savor the afterglow of Army Hammer's big moment, mm-hmm. by which mm-hmm. I mean his butt scene. Yes. Um, but I think just, you know, this is the time to luxuriate in Army Hammer. Now we're all on the same page and it's time to just look at him and celebrate him. <laughs> and um, so a movie about a man staring at Army Hammer because he's so enraptured by his beauty and just trying to paint his every perfect detail sounded like the kind of movie for me it turns out i was mistaken Ooh. um because the painter is straight <laughs> mm, and played by jeffrey rush yes which oof. um so yeah that'll really suck the wind out of any sails you know what i mean <laughs> really, yeah. uh... suck the wind out of any erection uh so this is Directed by Stanley Tucci. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but... uh, famous for directing Big Night. Mm-hmm, yes, which is a fine film. That's a, that, now if that wasn't Ready Player One, I would have gotten behind it. Any good a good Wings reference, I would have gotten behind that, too, if we're going to go the Tony Shalhoub route. Go on. And Tony Shalhoub is in this movie. Oh, <laughs> yes. this is my Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what could have been? What could have been? We'll never know. Uh, uh. But, but instead, we just had me watching this movie and screaming take your clothes off mm-hmm. for about 90 minutes and there's a scene finally about halfway in where army hammer starts to take off his jacket and i'm just like here we go and jeffrey rush is like what are you doing and he's like oh i was just gonna take off my undershirt because you know it's very hot in here today and, and i'm just like yes take off your undershirt and then jeffrey rush is like no you can't do that you can't change anything about your appearance you just sit there and look exactly the same and then i'm like fuck this movie do you even keep watching it this movie um i did keep watching it because i was like maybe he'll bang the wife i was like there's <laughs> like i know where, where these things what lead I play it backwards but here's the thing that i was here's was the, the mistake i was making i was thinking that something was going to uh what's the word um happen ah uh, classic mistake yes fool's error on my part uh this is not a movie where things happen this is barely a movie this is uh, as, 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 as I saw it put today in a review by Mick LaSalle, this is basically an anecdote about a painting. Whoa. Uh, there's, there's, there's no real richer meaning going on. I mean, in unless this that painting's Guernica, it sounds like a real snooze fest. Oh, you're not, you're not lying. You're telling me the truth. It's, 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 it's quite literally, a, like, I can't think of a movie that has ever in history had lower stakes than mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. So we have a story about, yeah, so Army Hammer plays this writer who is, you know, this like gorgeous, apparently successful, wealthy person who is in Paris. And then this this famous artist is like, I want to paint you. And he already knows him socially. And he's like, great. Well, I have to go to get back home because, uh, you know, da, 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 but because uh, he still has his fucking, you know, fiance from Calling By Your Name waiting for him. <laughs> and um, he's like, gotta get back to her. Uh, gotta get back to the beard. And uh, and he's just like, oh, yeah, no, fine. It won't take but, uh, but an afternoon. Never trust a European artist. Uh, always liars. And, uh, so, and this one might be Italian too. So, you know, Gia Cometti, I mean, just, uh, you know, I'm Italian, right? I know that's what I'm saying. Okay, good. Um, this so... podcast is only going to be five minutes long. <laughs> well, I told you. And so, and so, uh, and so then it just turns into this, like what should have been like a hilarious farce about how, because it does not get done in one afternoon. It just gets stre- spread out and spread out and spread out and spread out. And it's just scene after scene after scene 
of Jeffrey Rush sitting there just sort of noodling on his canvas and just like looking at Army Hammer, who just sits there in this in this chair wearing the same suit every day. I will say that the angle that he's frequently shot from is a nice between the legs angle, and I did appreciate that. However, he was still wearing clothes, so I didn't appreciate that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it's just like all these shots, like it does have a lot of very rapturous close-ups of armies, like specific features, like you know, do like an eye close-up, a nose, a mouth, and so you know, it's it's there to be appreciated. But it's it's just them looking at each other and then like not really talking. And then nothing really happens. Like, they try to develop some heat around the fact that Giacometti, he has this, like, neglected wife who's there, but then he also has this mistress who's a sex worker, and she's, like, your classic sort of, like, Parisian prostitute of the 60s. You know the type. So the, so the one with two love interests is Jeffrey Rush. Yes. Jeffrey Rush has two love interests. <laughs> this movie was made purposefully to upset you. And Tony Chaloub is the brother. And he's just like, hey! And Jeffrey Rush is like, not now! And he's just yeah. like, all right! Damn it, Antonio. Um, and, Go park uh, your taxi. So, uh, but yeah, so it's 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 not a movie. And it is it 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 just I don't know, yeah, there's just nothing going on here. There's just nothing going on here aside from some 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 good acting. Uh Jeffrey Rush, as always, is sort of just a, I don't know, he knows how to play an eccentric character, uh mm-hmm. with a quite a a big performance. Yeah. Um, Army Hammer is still in his kind of like newfound like, hey, I might be good at this point in his career. I feel like he must have come straight off of Calling By Your Name when he shot this. And the only other way I could get through it was to imagine the relationship between um, Giacometti and Lord as being the relationship between Luca Guadagnino and Army Hammer on the set of Calling wow, By Your you Name. you really made a whole new movie out of you, the movie you're watching. I had to because the movie I was watching wasn't making a movie out of itself. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So there is a through line here something about people who look like art. We have the animated avatars. Mm. We have the animated Isle of Dogs, and then we have Army Hammer, yes. who is just a, a and without a, without a single painting. ounce of exactly. And Army Hammer is the winner because without a single ounce of uh, of effort from a CG team or a, or a right. design department, he's the most beautiful of them all. So I guess we have our pick of the week. <laughs> <laughs> here, here, let me let me save you the seven bucks. Go to the internet, print out a photo of Army Hammer, tape it in front of your TV, order some popcorn, yell, take your clothes off at it, and then turn it turn it off in five minutes and uh, go, to, go to bed. Also, maybe put some pictures of Parisian architecture around it, because mm-hmm. that helps contribute to it. Although the guy's actual art studio is a fucking sty. What are you giving this movie? Uh... Binge it. <laughs> You're terrible. You did that for Ready Player One. Um, I think that I would give it... Um, you know, I'm going to have to go ahead and say send it back just because even though it's well acted, I just can't imagine myself ever recommending this to someone. And, you know, as you said, there are other ways to look at Army Hammer mm-hmm. because he is a visual artist for a living. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Final portrait is rated R for language, some sexual references and nudity. Jason, I have a question for you before it, we, we're already. It, we're it's already not his nudity. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday morning. I want to go see a movie. Here are my options. What would you say? First, first, pretend I've never seen any of these. Isle of Dogs, Death of Stalin, Black Panther, 2D Ready Player One, or Ready Player One in 70 millimeter. Um, I would say that you should see Black Panther uh, and you should see Death of Stalin. 
the two I've seen. <laughs> so then if you had to go between Isle of Dogs. So you were asking for yourself. Oh, I guess I can only see Isle of Dogs. Well, that sucks. Maybe I'll try to find annihilation somewhere. Um, you're like, eh. well, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, there's nothing else out right now, right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you could see Thoroughbreds. Uh, I know. Mm. I, I know. I didn't care for it as much, but I feel like I'm increasingly I'm alone in that. Uh, so that's an option. I didn't know you were actually asking for yourself. I thought you were like, yeah. let's say something useful on this show and let's actually tell people which one movie they should see. But no, you're actually just asking for yourself. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to see a movie, uh, do like the whole um, uh, Saturday morning movie yeah. thing. I think Isle of Dogs might be a disaster for you just because it would A, destroy you emotionally and B, make you angry. Mm, there's a movie called Birthmarked, which is not Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, there's a bunch of movies that I, um, I don't know if they are opening in small theaters or what. Well, do you know anything about Gemini? Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to review that next week. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Um, well. We'll take this offline. We'll take this offline. Sherlock Gnomes. <laughs> what the fuck is that? How about Tomb Raider? Should I see that? I don't know. I didn't see it. Okay. How about Love, Simon? I think. Uh, <laughs> and that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Oh, how about Unsane? Did you see that? Uh, no, but it's supposed to be terrible. Damn. Oh, how about Game Night? Yes. We found it. I found should go it. see Game Man. Game Man. Game, game, game Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. My tickets are being held for Stone Juggler. I'm here to see Game Man. What happened was, what had happened was, I <laughs> While I was about to say it, I scrolled down to The Greatest Showman, <laughs> starring Hugh Jackman. So, I think you know what happened. And on the same episode where I started by saying, maybe we're not gay enough. <laughs> Happy Easter, everyone. <laughs> One and all. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user or on Stitcher or SoundCloud app. Um, check out our website at thebinge.us. And we are on Twitter. Jason is at Excess Baggage. And I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.